Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, episode 28, Tinfoil, Tripods, and Something Called a Woody. Nick breaks down some of his favorite dinner meal dishes to make while camping, along with some old school equipment that has gotten a modern twist. Be sure to leave a rating or review if you get the chance. Now put on some bug spray and let's enjoy the show. Hey, good morning, folks. How are you? It's uh, summer. It is uber hot well into the 90s and it's just humidity is unrelenting we are in the midst of a braze on ourselves <laughs> we uh yeah we're just kind of getting by um also we've been in and about at least i have been in and about the state of michigan i've been all over the place we've been taking our uh, 24 foot spirit of America all over our wonderful state. In fact, we just got back from uh, towards the middle of the mitten Montague and Whitehall area. We just had a weekend there. Um, but previous month we were all the way up into the upper peninsula. If folks aren't really into knowing about our state of Michigan, We've got two peninsulas. We've got the lower peninsula and up peninsula. When people go on vacation, they go north. And I can tell you, north is uh, a wonderful place. They have a saying that it's, yeah, heaven is just north of the bridge, referring to the Mackinac Bridge. And it has been all all that it could be as far as heaven. Um, my wife and I were just blown away. I mean, we've been up there as kids, we've been up there as uh, young adults, but for us to just go up again and to take our kids, super fun, super incredible. Um, in fact, this trip, we were able to uh, be in three of the five Great Lakes. Um, we saw a whole, a whole host of wildlife, both in captivity at Oswald's Bear Ranch. They take in orphaned cubs. And uh, keep them there at the ranch. So that was just really neat for our kids to see bears, one of our biggest um, land animals here in Michigan, to see them up close. Um, but then we also saw just a, a whole host of, of deer, of squirrel, of rabbit. I believe I even had a grouse sighting between Lake Muskellunge and Grand Marais. We were on a dirt road, and I was going at a pretty good clip, and there was just this bird dusting itself, and I believe we had a grouse. So that was a uh, a neat thing to say. You know, I of course I hit the brakes, and I'm looking to see if I can't pick it out again. And at that point, it had scurried off. So no confirmation, but I believe it was a grouse. Um. But yeah, lots of time on the road, lots of miles on the rig, and just lots of neat destination 
areas. Um, like I mentioned, Lake Superior, Lake Muskellunge, they are side by side. It's a state park um, that borders Lake Superior. They say it never gets warm, and I believe them because you know I did the full plunge into the lake, and yeah, I it was all it was an instant numbing effect. And here we are, late part of June, early part of July, and I, <laughs> I didn't I couldn't feel my toes. You know, it wasn't like over exaggerating. Oh, the water's cold. No, no, this this was cold. Um, also passed by Cedarville, uh, another little town um, that borders the Leishno Islands. It's a bunch of little islands that are interconnected. Um, rough translation from what I found out is it means channels, and it really represent it really resembles like little channels and small lakes that are all interconnected but in effect you are in lake huron um lake huron goes all the way up but just there's just these little nooks and crannies and there's islands all over the place and i'm glad that we had um the lipples able to uh guide us around because you could easily just get turned around and be like, all right, which little impasse am I in? What island is that? And it was just uh, a wonderful time uh, for the Lipple family to show us around and to show us a, a wonderful piece of Michigan. Um, Greg and Jeff. Um, Jeff owns Island View Resorts, and Greg runs Island View Charters. So they're a brother brother team that works up there. I had a chance to, to chat with them. Um, and it was just a, a great experience to have them explain just the history of their little spot and what it means to them and how they have not only come to love that place, but made it something that they go back to and run a business from and just are making it their, their second home. So it was great to hear, um, from Jeff on, on the history of that. And it was great to hear, um, Greg talk about just the fishing opportunities that are there. It's tough to think that, you know, the, the lake is full of fish and it, it's not just this, they're equally dispersed in all these areas. Like you've got to hunt them down and you got to know where they're at. And so through his charter business, he is guiding people. And then when he's not guiding people, he's out, uh, basically, um, just getting a lay of where the fish are at. He's having to take notes, figure out what's biting, figure out what's not biting, scouting daily. And he had to think like, oh, 365 days of fishing, please. I would love that job. But it's not always sunny. It's not always calm. It's not always not raining sideways. Uh, so I'll, you know, hats off to, to Greg and all the work he does through that fishery. And, um, all the, the scouting that he's got to do to it. Cause I'm sure there's some days he'd like to just stay inside. Um, but yeah, walking or just going around Cedarville, there was, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, wooden boat history that was there. They have a wooden boat school, in fact, and folks are there either learning the trade of building wooden boats. Um, from in there, there were, you know, some longer skiffs. Um, some of those real retro looking speed boats. Well, I saw one of those 
in the paint booth. We did stop and and they have some some viewing windows. And they've got one that was just getting lacquer uh, all on the sides of it, and it was just looking incredible. The price of it, uh, I nobody ever told me a price. Just out of curiosity, I was like, I wonder how much that cost. I'm sure it's the same price as my house. But anyway, that trip uh, trip was a blast um, to head up into a, a piece of the state that you know people are always thinking that it's so far away, but at the same time, it takes a day drive, and uh, and you can get there. It's not too long after. Hiking up three kids, though, in uh, in the in a pickup, that was a, a good learning experience, I think, for everybody, both for me and my wife and, and for the kids themselves. Like, they had to learn patience. They had to learn that, you know, we will get there eventually. You just need to be... Um, able to calm down you just need to be able to um focus on something other than just wanting to be there we also learned that taking up a toddler who's potty training takes a little element of planning and takes an element of i don't know just being on your toes because uh every it seems like every 15 minutes and i would actually say maybe maybe close to every 20 minutes um, our son had to go to the bathroom and you didn't dare call his bluff. So we had in the middle council, we had up front with me and my wife, a cup that was designated the pee cup. And instead of having us be able to pull off and find some place and have him go to the bathroom, he just would stand up, he would drop drawer and we would, uh, pee on the go. And not only did he get a kick out of it, but, uh, so did his brother and pretty soon it became a family event. So here I am driving, <laughs> looking forward to hands, 10 and two and my wife <laughs> holding a cup, keeping all contents in control and not sloshing around as these boys are trying to, uh, figure out their own bladder system and how to control it. But once we got there, I mean, the world was his oyster at that point. He could take off and every tree he could mark and just <laughs> be able to go. So that was an adventure on its own. But taking those kids to something that, you know, to the great outdoors, something that their father and mother are passionate about and just enjoy and want to expose them more to what's out there. I mean, we live outdoors anyways. My, I mean, we're constantly outside. We live and a nice chunk of property right next to state land. And it's, it's not uncommon for all of us to just be outside all day. And, but to then show them more of that and show them that there's different aspects, you know, to have all of them see three great lakes in a matter of a couple of days, they, uh, they really got a kick out of that. Cause then, then, you know, you'd ask them like, which lake is this? And, you know, they'd, they'd throw out Huron or they'd throw out Michigan and be like, nope, this is the big one. And so then it was, you get to go to the map and show them Superior and you get to show them the diff or where Huron and Lake Michigan are divided. It was on that bridge we went across and they really got a kick out of seeing Big Mac as we went across that five mile suspension bridge. So that's been our summer. It's been a lot of get out, enjoy ourselves. Um, just see stuff in the state. We're 
were campers, were big, um, big, big time campers. We've gone definite, definitely into the modern age with the uh, the spirit of America. It's a coachman, twenty four foot. By no means is it luxury, but it is definitely luxurious to us. We've got a bathroom, we've got AC, which we used heavily in the evenings this past trip, and we've got a a separated bed from the the unit. There's a little door. And it may only be a 32nd of an inch thick. It may even be just a piece of corrugated cloth. But it's amazing to put the kids into the bunk and to have us in the other room. Because then it does feel like a mile <laughs> of space. Um, but yeah, we did all of our cooking outside. I take that back. There is a, there is a small oven and one rainy... One rainy evening, we were going to do foil packs, and we just didn't want to do that. We didn't want to go outside, set it all up, and uh, just have our foil packs rained on. So into the oven, inside the camper. So we used the, the little propane oven there. Works fabulous. But other than that, all of our cooking was done outside. All of our cooking was done pretty rustic. Um Although I, I was using my, my chuck box exclusively. It is a you know, two and a half foot by maybe foot and a half deep plywood box that I put together. Um, really made it into a woodworking project. Got it all decked out with my camp stove, um, which is a, a camp chef. Uh, it's part, part of the mountain series. It's a dual burner, burns propane. Um, it really has some bells and whistles. It's, I mean, I shouldn't say a ton of bells and whistles, but it's got some, some pieces where that older company, the giant, um, kind of left out where they made a product and it worked and they stuck with it and you can still find them around and they're, they're pretty much bomb proof, but this one's got just a few, few little upgrades to it and a few little specializations, um, it's got a low oxygen um, burner where it really intensifies the flame so that it can also not only can burn water quicker, but at the same time it can be taking it it can be gone up into higher elevations without having to worry about not being able to keep a flame. And that sucker gets ripping hot. The ultimate test is cooking pancakes on the griddle on this uh this two burner because you end up with a a super hot zone and you end up with a super cool zone in the middle and the the object is to turn those down enough to have that heat spread through that griddle at an even rate um because yeah when you flip those pancakes you can tell which is hot and uh which is not and i think i got it down i think i've really come a long way in making that i'm not Ending up with uh, bricks and then really soggy, tasteless pancakes in the middle. I've really got the ability to make six cakes all to once pretty uniform. So it does take uh, a little bit of effort. Um, but that chuck box also holds all of my utensils and it holds um, the pots and pans that I, that I use. Right now I'm just throwing in a cast iron skillet 
that has a top so that if I did want to like bake something, I could, you know, bake cornbread or, um, do a dump cake or something in that. I've got, um, an aluminum pot and I have a Teflon pan in addition to the skillet. Sometimes you just want quick eggs and you don't want them to make, make a big mess. So you just throw the, throw those out there. Um, my coffee game is currently just bringing the home coffee maker that, uh, it's very nice because it's got a timer on it. And when you don't want to wake up to put the elements together, because you can't be putting in coffee grounds and water and trying to wake up at the same time. I just can't believe that anybody would require that of us. Uh, so we have, we put it on a timer, do it, preset it. And I tell you, you don't need an alarm clock when that thing goes off, you can smell it throughout the camper. And it is by far one of the most amazing senses right there is, is smelling your, your pre-made coffee. So as far as, uh, backcountry coffee goes, I, I have a French press, but I haven't utilized it as much. I should probably up that game. Um, in uh in my camp setup but a lot of over the fire cooking happens as well i'm a big believer in the tripod um three they they break down they're almost like uh, aluminum tent poles and there's a uh bracket that each of those fit into it's a small triangle and inside of that triangle there's two flanges that are bent out and a chain runs along that and then there's like a a catch that will run on one of the stakes. You actually put that catch through, or put the pole through the catch, and then put it into the bracket. And that allows you to change the elevation as far as up, down, close to the coals, or up. Um, depending on the splay of the legs, you can get down into some of those big old concrete cylinder state park uh, fire pits that are just deeper than deep and they don't get much airflow. Um, you can get your, your fire started and have that up, have the, uh, grill out of the way, but then you're able to lower that all the way down in there, uh, and get, get close to your coals. But yeah, that's usually how I'll run a foil pack. And that's probably where I was going to then go into is just some of our camp cooking. Um, by no means, uh, should you be counting calories or should you be on a strict diet when camping? It can be done. However, it's no fun because when we make some of our dishes where you've been outside, you've been, you know, either up on hiking trails, you've been in the water swimming, you've been chasing three toddlers all over the state, you get hungry. <laughs> you, you burn a lot of burn a lot of calories and you are hungry for something that's going to stick with you at the end of the day. And it's stuff that you look forward to. Um, some of this stuff has really become a, a nostalgic thing for, uh, for our family. And I've mentioned it once already is these foil packs or these foil dinners. They've got a hundred different names. Um, uh, they've been, you know, hobo dinners or, um, yeah, fo yeah foil packs, hobo dinners, whatever they're called. And what we, we can, we've done it a couple different ways. You can pre-make them or make them on site. 
and it's usually just a mixture of onions, potatoes, corn, carrots, whatever kind of veggie you want, peppers you could throw in there. Um, you mix that in, or you throw those together. You add in whatever meat you're looking for. Uh, she prefers a ground meat, so it's either like a, an 80-20 of venison or beef or turkey or whatever she would like, but we have the ground that goes in. Um, I've also done it in a way where we, we've chunked it up, where it's uh, about the size that you would use for like a pot pie, you know, like an inch square, and I've already pre-diced those up. I throw a pound of those, or, you know, distribute a pound of those through, and that's the way I like it, as opposed to uh, the ground that you, you uh, spread out throughout it. Mix this all together. There's a good amount of pepper that goes in. There's a good amount of salt that goes in. Um, this would also be a great time to test out whatever new barbecue rub that you would want to throw on something because that would really work itself both into vegetables and into uh, the meat itself. You can go any sorts of direction with your seasoning. But then it seems that the one of the keys is you need a lot of butter. Um, we're talking like, yeah, half a stick, quarter stick per per foil foil pack. Um, you can add, you can substitute for olive oil. I don't see why you would. Just because it, it works better with the butter, I guess. And then there's a technique that when you fold this together, you want to create it that you have one seam. So you actually have to fold the sides up. If I were to lay out a piece of foil um, long ways, you would want to make several longitude longitudinal folds so that it keeps your contents inside and keeps the liquid contents the fat and the butter from spilling out and then you want to create so there's one crease that you can fold over and cr create an almost airtight uh or at least a liquid tight fold the key is then is to flip it onto another piece of foil and then reverse fold so that you've got two pieces of foil alternating where that seam is at and that you take extra care for those. Uh, my wife will do that in the kitchen, pre-made, throw them in the freezer, and then when we've decided, hey, it's foil pack day, and it, it, foil pack day could usually be like the day that we get there because we're spending time setting up, everybody's out exploring, Nobody wants to sit by uh, and watch something cook at that point. We want to we want to be out and about. That's a great idea to just have those thawing on the trip up and then throw them right on the tripod. You want to get those suckers right down into the coals. Before I was using those on the tripod, it was merely just tossing the foil onto the coals. And that was a great... It's a great method because... When you get it down super close, the the butter and fat does not have an opportunity to flare up. Um, you've because you're sitting it straight onto the coals. There's not a lot of oxygen in between the foil and the coals at that point. You know you're not getting this flare up situation. You're just getting straight heat, which works out really well. Um, if you were to put those on a normal elevated, if I were to 
you know, elevated grate, you're going to get some dripping. That's where you get your flare ups because you've introduced oxygen to this setup. But what I can do is I can take that tripod and I put that pretty much all the way down so that it touches the coals. But what I like about the uh, using the tripod method is the element of extraction rather than using a shovel or a large spatula or something to try and get underneath the coals uh, to try and flip this thing. It's all about control at this point. I can raise it up to a working level and now I've got the foil fully support or the foil pack fully supported on this grate. I can then make a quality flip, drop those back down into the coals. And continue the uh, uh, super close cooking at that point. It just makes it easy. It's probably my pro tip when it comes to foil packs is uh, use a tripod. Well, hey, while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, They come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, In fact, if you check out their blog, we have recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. Another one is uh, shish kebabs. Just because you can uh, work together, it's, it's like a group effort. Everybody can chop up vegetables, everybody can chop up meat and skewer it up. Set them on the over coals, over uh, a wood fire that you've started, and then uh, let that burn down. The key is to letting that wood fire burn down. But that's another quick one. That's one that the boys will actually eat up a lot because they get to make their own skewers, and they think they get. Uh, you know, they they want to they want to make sure that theirs is separated so you know that that one is theirs and that you don't forget that. Uh, twist ties on the on the end is also a good way just so that dad knows which ones are which. But uh, we've really enjoyed the shish kebab aspect of it. And again, there's just a lot of oil onto the meat, onto the vegetables. You do a soaking. Um, you pre-season your stuff up. It's a chance to really try out some new stuff. Um, but don't be afraid to add enough on there because when you put those down into the into the fire, the you know, it's not like a normal stovetop. It's not like a normal um, oven that, you know, smoke is introduced because it, it's a an open fire at that point. But at the same time, there's a lot of high heat that's down in there. And so your uh, some of your seasonings just get, you know, burnt right away. Even if you're doing a good job at not letting them burn, it's it's just a more intense heat. So really add on the on the seasonings when you're cooking on live fire. The new addition to my kit has been something that I've, I don't want to say avoided, but it just has not sparked my attention. And that's the idea of Dutch oven cooking. 
I'll let everybody uh, calm themselves back down. I know I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not much of an adult to be able to say Dutch oven and not think of other things that are Dutch ovens. But anyway, uh, Dutch oven cooking is using these large cast iron vessels to just create incredible food. Um, usually used on a, on a long, slow process where you're making chili, gumbo, biscuits and gravy, you name it, you can make it in these, uh, these Dutch ovens. It's a great way to be able to braise and do a long cook in the outdoors. The issue that I've had with Dutch ovens is that with that cast iron, you got to maintain it. With that cast iron, it's god awful heavy. They're just immensely dense. Um, and then there's the cleanup that goes along with them, which, you know, the more they use them, the less cleanup that you have to do because you've created such a great seasoning to it. You can just pretty much just wipe it and forget it. So I, I do appreciate that when it comes to cast iron. That's why I do take um, that that skillet. I I really do enjoy it. The density of that it holds up well to to live fire to coals. It's bomb proof. You can't beat it up. But if there was something that we could do to just take off the weight, it would be it would make it manageable. And I don't need a twelve quart. I don't need a twenty quart. Uh, Dutch oven. I just need something to feed like six to eight people. Um, and I think I have found that piece of equipment. And if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, I've posted just a couple of, uh, of things that I've been, been working on and I've been using a woody Dutch oven. Uh, the woody Dutch oven is not made of cast iron, but cast aluminum, and it takes the weight, a normal Dutch oven, I mean, you're looking at some of those big ones, you're looking at 15, 15 pounds just in a kettle and top. And the Woody is a 9 by, in, internal is a 9 by 9 square. Real compact, and it weighs right around the ballpark of 4 pounds. It's not out of, a, out of the question to if somebody wanted to take this into the backcountry to be able to take this and have some slow cooked awesome meal way out in the bush where you get a couple days in and you're kind of sick of oatmeal you're uh, you're over the dry freeze shout out to mountain house you do a great job you make some delicious meals at the same time it's dry freezed <laughs> you can't you can't get past that fact um, but you're looking for something that's been cooked all day. You're looking for something that's going to represent a little bit of, uh, comforting food at that point. Something that's going to stick to your ribs. And this vessel is something that I think can do that. The unit is made of a top and a bottom. The top, uh, has two, two sections where it looks like a handle should be but they don't put a handle there um, so that you can use your, your um, you've got these grippers and the gripper on the bottom uh, jaw is rounded so that you can actually get a good grip on 
those where it looks like there's a mincing element. That's actually where you put the gripper to get control of the top. The top is made the same as the bottom as far as like the thickness of the aluminum. And the, the bottom has the ability to add feet to the unit. Because right now it's a, it's pretty much a smooth bottom, but there's uh, four tapped holes, and what's in there is a quarter twenty bolt panhead screw. Well, it's a panhead bolt that you can then take those out, and there's short ones that immediately are installed into uh, the Dutch oven. But you can add three inches. You can add five inches. If you want to make a big pile of coals and you want to have this above that, a normal Dutch oven has these feet that are cast into the unit and those things, they just get caught on everything. When you try to tote those around, you're constantly getting snagged uh, with those feet, either putting them away or, or whatever. The Woody has been able to have you just take those bolts out and it's they're not an issue. But if you want to put in a three-inch bolt and have a layer of coals out and set that on top, it's a perfect way for you to have even heat underneath without having to level out your coals. You can just stack them up and then set the Dutch oven on top. It also being made of aluminum, it doesn't need to be seasoned. It's not porous like cast iron is at that point where it'll absorb the seasoning or absorb the oil or whatever you're putting on to it. If you're putting a, you know, a vegetable lard or you're, you know, just using bacon grease um, on yours, it, uh, it soaks in into a cast iron where this one does not allow it to soak in. So you can use soap on it. The other thing I found is it's pretty much nonstick as soon as you get the unit. Um, I have used no soap just because it's one less step that I have to to use on, on the Dutch oven. I'm treating it very similar to where I would cast iron, or I'm not introducing soap to it. And I was prepared to really scrub the inside after making a uh, a dessert. I made a wild, wild blackberry. Well, excuse me. After uh, checking it out, there were wild black raspberries just so that I'm being uh, fully informative here. They were wild black raspberries and strawberries in a dump cake that I made. So I had my uh, fruit that I pre-cut, added some wine to it, put that into the bottom, and then you put your cake mix on top, a bunch of butter, a bunch of pecans. I tell you, it's a, it's a home run dump cake. But I was fully expected to have to scrub out all of that reduced fruit juice on the bottom, either from the wine or from just the fruit being down in there. And I tell you, I used a just a cloth and was able to wipe it all out. And it was it was as good as any Teflon that I had used. Hardly any scrubbing. I think there was like two hot spots where I had to really get after just for a moment. But cleanup was a breeze on this unit and that makes it so nice that if I were to take this into the back country I want to be able to go down by the river edge or the the stream edge you know pull my water out of there and not have to soak anything 
not have to really work hard, but I can just wipe it clean and go on with the rest of my day, go on with the rest of my my adventure at that point. Um, with the uh, the Dutch oven and it being four pounds and it also being a two piece, there opens up a lot of options for packing this thing in. Because I'm sure there's going to be people out there that be like, uh, I've got my ultra lightweight set up. I don't need to be taking anything extra out into the woods. You're everybody's trying to shave off ounces. I mean, the the ounce race is incredible. Even now that it's coming into uh, the hunting industry, you know, people are fighting about four or five ounces on a tree stand. And I'm now introducing the idea of bringing something four pounds. <laughs> out with you if you're going to go out for an extended period of time. Um, But it's made of three parts. So the top part's two pounds, bottom part's two pounds, and the grippers, they almost weigh nothing. Um, I've thrown that into my chuck box, and so it's just become part of that. But I can see that if it was a backpacking trip, and some folks, many folks, do a a solo venture, or if you're going out for a multi-day public land hunt up north, you're going to be out there by yourself. But if you're not going to be a heck of a long distance away from your vehicle, it's not to say that you can't throw that in the bottom of the pack. Um, you know, if you're bringing out a, a small stove for your for your tent anyway, why not bring this along with you? It's just one of those things you have to weigh out luxury versus necessity is there something that i have to give up as far as necessity in order for this luxury or am i willing to carry this luxury to enjoy it because there's always a trade-off but then you get into the folks that are you know into canoeing or they're into kayaking and they'll do multi-trips multi-day trips with those and the ability to have like a warm meal that you can make way out in the backcountry just really boosts the morale. Um, not to say that you know you're feeling bad on these trips, but you know you get a rainy day or you just get a day where you're working hard, and to be able to have this going back at camp on some coals uh, is a really, really wonderful home thing to come back to. As you know, as you closer you get to camp, I think you're going to be able to smell that food cooking, it's going to be going to be really good for you to get back. And in fact, that was one of the tests that I did with this uh, Dutch oven is to simulate uh, either a fishing trip or a Western trip or something where everybody's going to be leaving. Everybody's going to be going um, either fishing or to pursue whatever animal could be elk, could be whitetail, could be blacktail, could be whatever. But breakfast is being made, why not get dinner ready? If you're not going to be back until late afternoon, evening, that, you know, sun's coming down, you're going to want to um, have supper ready. You're going to want to have something that you can eat before you go to bed, ready to go. You don't want to have to spend time cooking uh, when you get back, because everybody's exhausted, everybody's tired, they want something now. And so that was my scenario, uh, was could I start something at breakfast and have it finished by by dinner time? 
and I, I posted a few of those on our Instagram as well, at least on our stories. I took a a nice big piece of beef shank, um, how you would do normal. Well, yeah, this is what you know you could do pork asobuco, or I did the beef asobuco. So it's a big piece of shank, large disc, seared both sides, um, in the in the pan. I mean, I just did eggs like maybe 10 minutes before that. And I, I wiped that clean. Then I had my meat pre-seasoned, pre-thawed, added some flour onto it just to get a good sear and seared that in a Teflon pan. From there, I moved that over to uh, the Dutch oven. I quick cooked up some, I had a tomato leftover. I had some onions um, had a little bit of minced garlic. I didn't go too crazy. Again, we were, we were camping and I didn't have like a whole pantry at my disposal. So I, but I just kind of quick diced up some vegetables, seared those off even, just got the translucent, um, onion, poured those in and actually I nestled the, the meat into that. And traditionally you would use wine uh, I didn't have wine with me, but what I had was another can of beer, so I just popped that and added that as in my liquid. Covered it all up. I set down um, in the coals. I I made a coal bed, and I did what's referred to as the minion method. I've heard people refer to it as the snake method as well. If you pattern uh, the coals around, but what I did is I made my my bed, my coal bed, and then I took a blowtorch and I just torched the center briquette, and I got that puppy just ashed over. I got that really red hot, and then I left it. So right now at that point there was only one red hot briquette in amongst a bunch of unstarted briquettes. I put those. Actually, I used the tripod. I didn't put the screws in. I set it on the tripod, put it down low, right up next to that that charcoal bed, and I left it. And I said, I'm not going to touch this for, I'm going to see how long I cannot peek, I cannot touch it, just going to walk away, we're going to do other stuff. And I started that, oh, roughly around, I think it was like 9.30, just because of how Things had started. Breakfast had started a little bit later, so we didn't have as early of a start. But we went throughout the day, and I just made sure to not pay attention to it, to mimic me not being there. And finally, somebody had mentioned dinner, and I just I had to I had to peek. One of the things of Dutch oven is that you're creating a spot where you're keeping all of the heat inside. You're keeping all of your moisture. You're creating a braise situation. You don't want to lift up the lid. But I lift the lid up at that point. I think it was 3 in the afternoon, so, you know, I felt like I did a pretty good job at not touching it. So I lifted it up. Uh, see that we were very close to being done. Put it down. I think you know it needed a little, maybe thirty minutes more. Um, I did raise it up and check my charcoal bed, and that had completely been. I don't, I don't want to say burnt out. It was still putting off some heat, but they were all ashed at that point. 
used up. So I did have to throw a few more briquettes of um, charcoal in. So that would be my one additional thing. Is like now you got to figure out how to get longer, longer heat time out of your charcoal. But at that at that point, I gave it like thirty more minutes with uh, some fresh charcoal, pulled it out, and that thing was as velvety was as tender as any piece of pot roast or asobuco done traditionally inside an oven at home. This was like comfort food, but out there in the middle of the no- in nowhere. And when I say nowhere, I meant full amenities at a campground. But this can totally be done in the backcountry. So that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah. That's the end of that review. Gets a full Huntivore thumbs up. Um, hopefully, I can get a hold of um, their CEO. Uh, he's loaned out this one to me and uh, hoping to do a podcast with him as well. Um, further news, we did finish up our uh, year-end, excuse me, our one-year giveaway and uh, with a huge success, um, two fellows walked away with a Huntivore hat that was Dennis Rose and Drew Bardecki. I want to make sure I got his name right. Uh, both those guys walk away with a hit with a hat. So congratulations, fellas, on that. Um, if you missed out and want a hat, shoot me a, a message. Shoot me a um, something on Facebook. We can hook you up with another one. Um, they're fun. They're pretty sweet looking. You get to talk about your passion for wild game through the podcast that you listen to. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just kind of rambling now. So yeah, to summarize, uh, lots of camping going on, lots of food being cooked at camp and, uh, yeah, really enjoying the weather and really enjoying cooking by the fire. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up. Have a good evening, folks. And uh, keep your knife sharp.